Hey, my name is Josh Ingen. I serve as the pastor here at Union Chapel Baptist Church. You can learn more about who we are and what we believe at our website, unionchapelbaptist.org. We understand that uh, if you're sick or things going on, you can't be with us in person, but don't let that stop you from not being actively engaged in the body of Christ. Seek out other believers. We would love for you to join us here in person, but if, you're, if you live far away, uh, join a healthy church uh, wherever you're at. And we are, my prayer is that we would worship God in spirit and in truth today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Union Chapel Baptist Church. My name is Josh Ingen. I serve as the pastor here. And we got a couple announcements coming up uh, right after the service. If you're available, if you're interested in learning about our children's ministry, we're kind of revamping and giving kind of a vision for what we want to do with children's ministry. And if you're interested in learning more about that, definitely stay after the service today. Uh, and there's going to be uh, pizza. So that's definitely, if you, if you just want to come for pizza, you'll be welcome. So... Um, uh, this Wednesday at 6, we're going to have our prayer service and Bible study. And if you've been coming to that, we're going through a discipling book, what it means to disciple and make, make disciples. We'll be reading chapters 4 and 5 for this Wednesday. And then uh, this Friday coming up, October 6th, it's a Friday, at 5.30, we'll have a Faith in Blue event at Zebulon Town Hall. So a Faith in Blue event, basically, where the faith community will team up with the police department to put on a community event. There's going to be free hot dogs and games and stuff for your kids and they a fire truck. So it's a lot of fun. Last year we did it, and Theo's up here with me as well, so if you notice him. 
Uh, <laughs> Uh, we are a family church, and so we have we love kids and love families, and so uh, definitely be a part of us there. Uh, but yeah, so Faith in Blue event, if you want to help volunteer or just kind of be there to kind of represent uh, our, our church, uh, you can be there. And I'm looking forward to setting up a booth. You want to be, you going to go to that event, Theo? You going to come with me? Yeah. All right. So I'm going to set up a booth there and thinking about uh, just doing a place for people to come and talk. I'm going to just say, hey, if you need a, a time, a place to vent, if you need someone to talk to, I'm going to be sitting there for, if anybody wants to talk. So if you need a time to vent, come to this event. I'll be there. Uh, later on in the month, October 15th, uh, just a couple Sundays away, we're having our homecoming worship service and then our fall festival at the end. Uh, of the month, and you can see some other details there of, of things we need for our, our care portal, trying to help out our community, and also if you haven't had your picture taken for our friendship directory, so even if you're not a member, but you're a friend of our church, we'd love to have your picture in our directory so we can be praying for you and have a, a record of your, your information. So I think that's all I got. Theo, you got anything else? All right, let's worship the Lord. We're going to have somebody come up do our call to worship. Miss Bernice, thank you. Good morning. So we're going to start our day by um, reading God's word. If you guys would just stand with me, please, while we do this. And this is our responsive reading. So when I get to the bold or underlined, please join me. And we're reading today from Psalm 66, verses 1 through 8. Let the whole earth shout joyfully to God. Sing about the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awe-inspiring are your works. Your enemies will cringe before you because of your great strength. The whole earth will worship you and sing praise to you. They will sing praise to your name. Come and see the wonders of God. His acts for humanity are awe-inspiring. He turned the sea into dry land and they crossed the river on foot. There we rejoiced in him. He rules forever by his might. He keeps his eye on the nations. The rebellious should not exalt themselves. Bless our God, you peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Continue standing while we... Great to see everybody out this morning. Our first hymn together. You're using the hymnal that's on page 493. Glory to his name.
you're still standing, and if you're using your hymnal, which you may not even need for this song, page 327, The Old Rugged Cross.
Thank you for that beautiful, beautiful singing this morning. You may be seated. So at this time, we're going to be praying for the sick and hurting. This is Psalm 41, starting in verse 1. It says, Happy is the one who is considerate of the poor. The Lord will save him in a day of adversity. The Lord will keep him and preserve him, who will be blessed in the land. You will not give him over to the desire of his enemies. The Lord will sustain him on his sickbed. You will heal him on the bed where he lies. Let's pray. God, we come to you right now. We have friends and family who are sick and hurting. We have church members who are not able to be here because they are in pain. And God, we just pray for them right now. We lift them up to you. You are a great physician. You have the power to heal. We have seen you heal in our lives. We have seen you heal in the scriptures. And we know that you love us. And God, we come to you right now as dear children pleading with you to heal. God, we, we trust in you. We want your will to be done. And in these moments of sickness and pain, we know that you can also bring about glory to yourself. You can bring about maturity. You can bring repentance of sin. You can bring a depth of understanding that was not able to understand without this pain and suffering. God, we praise you no matter what. We praise you through the storm. And that's what we pray for our brothers and sisters right now that are experiencing pain, that they would not, not lose their trust in you, that they would keep their eyes on you. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning during our time of praise and worship, if you would stand, we're going to sing about the power of the cross, and then we're going to thank you, Jesus, for that great power and what he did for us.
You may be seated. Amen. That is a good truth to sing. I love it. So um, I, I don't want you to separate the worship through song and the worship through prayer, separate that worship through the preaching of God's word. I want you to connect those all together. So I want you to understand uh, what we're preaching, what I'm preaching through in light of the truth we just sang. Okay, to understand how Jesus saves us from our sin and his death on the cross and how that influences our reading of Genesis chapter 30 for today. The two are not separated. And so we'll be in Genesis chapter 30 today, and I do want us to, to remind us 
that Genesis is just as much as God's word as the book of Matthew and Revelation in the New Testament. And so we have, there's so much good here and there's so much for us. And so I don't want us to miss that. Um, and just to recognize that we are sitting under, we are reading the very words of God to us. So it's going to have uh, an impact how you listen and how you read the scriptures if you know that it's God's word. So today we'll be in Genesis chapter 30, starting in verse 25, and the title of today's message is God's Protection. God's Protection. And if you're taking notes and you want to mark down the key word for today, the key word today is idle. Idle. Not like you're idling in your car, but an idol, like a false idol, false god, all right? I'm not going to be talking about cars much in this sermon, I don't think. But this is the main idea that I'm going to try to get across. First, we need to trust in God for wisdom, blessing, and to bring reconciliation. We need to trust in God to do those things. While realizing the foolishness of false idols. So we're, we're having this contrast between trusting in God for these things rather than trusting in other things, false idols. Okay? So starting in Genesis, actually, sorry, outline, jumping ahead, I'm really, really excited to get into here. Here's a brief, brief kind of outline, four main sections. We'll look at first against divination, and don't worry, I'll explain what divination means. Number two, we'll see that God is the one who blesses. Number three, we'll look at against false gods and false idols. And then lastly, number four, we'll see that God brings reconciliation and God is to be feared. Okay? So starting in verse 25 of Genesis chapter 30, we read this. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me on my way so that I can return to my homeland. Give me my wives and my children so that I have worked for and let me go. You know how hard I have worked for you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor with you, stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. So this is our first point here against divination that Laban is using. What is divination? Basically, divination is an evil practice mentioned in other scripture passages alongside things like child sacrifice or witchcraft, or consulting mediums, or spirits, or consulting demons. So this is in those, those string of evil passages that are done by other nations that are not worshiping God. They are using this practice of divination to come to some kind of truth, or come to some kind of wisdom, or knowledge, or to allow something to happen. It's, it's almost a type of magic where people use this, to de they depended on evil spirits, they depended on demons to get information or perform a specific task. So what's interesting here about Laban is that he's using this evil practice, but the evil practice of divination actually leads him to something true, right? It's true. It was the Lord blessing him. And so how do you, how, that kind of is like a disconnect for us. Well, how could something evil like consulting demons and all these things be used to bring something true. Well, we've seen this time and time again where God can use imperfect means. He can use, actually use these evil practices to lead to something good for, for himself, like for glory to himself or true. And just because something ends up okay 
doesn't mean it makes that okay to do, right? The, the ends do not justify the means. So that's clear here. So even if you can get something out of, say, for today, you have tarot cards or Ouija boards or even a medium going to a fortune teller or looking at your astrology and all these things, even though you could get something true out of that, that doesn't make it okay to do. Does that make sense? Because you might have, you might meet somebody, this might be true for somebody here, I don't know. You say, well, how can it be bad if it worked? Just because it worked doesn't mean it's, it wasn't, it was, it was okay, right? So, we see in, 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 in Scripture clearly this is condemned, this practice is condemned in Leviticus 19 and in Deuteronomy 18. We get this, some things in the New Testament even about consulting demons and consulting spirits. And so the point is, God wants us to trust Him for knowledge. He wants us to trust Him for wisdom. And think about what Laban's doing. Could he not have asked and talked to Jacob about how everything is going on? He could have asked Jacob, he's like, I feel like I'm receiving blessing because you're around. And Jacob could be like, yeah, there's a reason. God has blessed my father, Isaac. God has blessed my grandfather, Abraham. And he promised to my grandfather, Abraham, that whoever blesses me, God will bless them too. Right? And so this, he could have found this out using discernment, just talking to Jacob. He could have found out that it was Yahweh, that it was God providing the blessing. And so... We need to seek wisdom, and we seek, need to seek discernment, not through these other things, but seeking wisdom from God. As James chapter 1, verse 5 says, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. Don't ask all these other things. right? Don't put your trust in these other things, these false idols and, other, and demonic spirits and all the, the witchcraft and magic. Ask God. He gives all generously and ungrudgingly and will be given to him. So Laban could have asked God for this. He could have even asked Jacob, used his wisdom and discernment to find that out. So if Laban wanted to receive the blessing from God, instead of trying to keep Jacob under his thumb, instead of trying to be, have Jacob in servitude to him, he should have blessed him and sent him on his way, right? But what does Jacob do? He tries to control the blessing himself but we'll see that God is the one ultimately in control. God is the one who blesses, is our second point. We'll see Laban do something different. He says in verse 28, Laban said, Name your wages, and I will pay them. So he doesn't want to send them off. So Jacob said to him, You know I have served you and how your herds have fared with me, for you had very little before I came. But now your wealth has increased. The Lord has blessed you because of me. And now, when, when will I also do something for my own family? Laban asked, what should I give you? And Jacob said, you don't need to give me anything. If you just do this one thing for me, I will continue to shepherd and keep your flock. He says, let me go through all your sheep today. Remove every sheep that is speckled or spotted, every dark-colored sheep among the lambs, and the spotted and speckled among the female goats. Such will be my wages. So what's going on? Basically, Jacob is saying, hey, I'll, I'll concede to you if you, you can pay me these wages and if you give me the speckled and spotted sheep. Now, you might be like, well, why those? I think it's a, it just honestly, it's a way for Jacob to be honest. Something new for Jacob, right? Jacob has always been the deceiver. But now he's like, all right, here's a plan to show that I'm not stealing any of your sheep. 
I will just own the speckled and spotted ones. And so when you come into my, my, my pasture, you'll know whether I stole some of your sheep or not. This, because you can see them. It would be, it'd be obvious. So I think there's a, a practical application here. We should, be, we should be honest in our business dealings as well. Be open and honest. Be uh, transparent. Don't try to hide things and try to earn money deceitfully. So we follow Jacob's positive example here. One of the few times, I think. We'll see a, a good example at the end of the, of the passage today. But here, he, he did something good as well. Because Jacob explains this in verse 33, his reasoning for this. He says, In the future, when you come to check on my wages, my honesty will testify for me. If I have any female goats that are not spotted and speckled, or any lambs that are not black, they will be considered stolen. So, makes sense. And so, what does Laban do in response to this? Verse 34, Good, said Laban, let it be as, if you, as you said. That day, Laban removed the streaked and spotted male goats and all the speckled and spotted female goats, every one that had any white on it, and every dark-colored one among the lambs. And he placed his sons in charge of them. He put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob. So what happened? Well, if you're going to get paid in spotted lambs, I'm going to move those away <laughs> so you can't get paid in those, right? So basically taking all of Jacob's wages away. And Jacob, meanwhile, was shepherding the rest of Laban's flock. All right? So J J Jacob didn't, uh, was going to be deceived. De Laban was deceiving the deceiver. Right? It's got, again, this happened in the past with Jacob, a little taste of his own medicine, poetic justice, the deceiver is being deceived, right? And so Jacob is on to him, though, and he comes up with a plan to kind of fix this solution because he's looking out at the sheep, and he's like, I'm not going to get paid anything. <laughs> I need some speckled sheep. How am I going to do this? And this is, this is a weird um, way to do it. Look at verse 37. Jacob then took branches of fresh poplar, almond, and plain wood, he peeled the bark, exposing white strips in the branches. He set up the peeled branches in the troughs in front of the sheep, in the water channels where the sheep came to drink, and the sheep bred when they came to drink. The flocks bred in front of the branches and bore streaked, speckled, and spotted young. What? <laughs> so this is what happened. He's like, all right, if I put these branches in front of the sheep as they drink, their offspring will be speckled and spotted. That's not based on science. If you do that today, that will not work, you know? So there's been speculation on where did Jacob get this idea? It may have been a tradition in that time period. It may have even been some kind of witchcraft or magic. He's depending on some kind of sorcery kind of to do this. He's trusting in something else. And with the theme here of, we'll see throughout the whole rest of the story, the theme of trusting in God or trusting in idols I lean towards Jacob is not trusting in God here. He's trying to make it happen in his own way, using this kind of like fake science, this fake tradition, some kind of magic even to make this happen. Because, but we know at the end of the day, even though it worked, we know that God was the ultimate one of source of blessing. God was the one that blessed Jacob. He caused these things to happen. So we need, to, we need to trust in God, not trust in these, these weird pseudoscience and uh, false magic and idols and stuff. Because we see that God is the one who ultimately causes the blessing of the sheep and everything. We see in Genesis 31, verse 5, we see this statement. Jacob said to them, Jacob realizes this. Jacob said to them, 
I can see from your father's face that his attitude toward me is not the same as before. But the God of my father has been with me. So he recognizes God has been with him. God is the one protecting him. God is the one blessing him. He says, you know that with all my strength I have served your father and that he has cheated me and changed my wages ten times, but God has not let him harm me. He was recognized it was God who blessed him. God is the one who didn't allow him to harm Jacob. In verse 9, it says again, God has taken away your father's herds and given them to me. God is the one ultimately responsible, not this fake science of putting the, the trees in front of the sheep. So again, God is working in the background. God is using imperfect means to bring about blessing for his people. And we see the blessing of Jacob in Genesis 30, chapter, four, uh, chapter 30, verse 42. So it turned out that the weak sheep belonged to Laban and the stronger ones to Jacob. And the man became very rich. He had many flocks, female and male slaves, and camels and donkeys. So like with Abraham and Isaac, when God blesses them with success, what happens? Everybody notices. They say, why, this guy is rich and he has, he's being blessed. So it causes rivalry. It causes envy and jealousy. More money can bring more problems, right? Verse 1 of Genesis 31, we see this problem. Now Jacob heard what Laban's sons were saying. They were saying, Jacob has taken all that our fathers and has built this wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob saw from Laban's face that his attitude toward him was not the same as before. The Lord said to him, go back to the land. All right, whoa, just, what just happened? God just is speaking to Jacob here. We're reading this narrative, and all of a sudden, God comes to the forefront. And God says to Jacob, go back to the land of your ancestors and to your family, and I will be with you. And so Jacob had Rachel and Leah called to the field where his flocks were. And then in the following uh, verses, 5 through 10, Jacob will explain to Rachel and Leah how God has been blessing them. He will recount what God has been doing, how he's been, God has been there. And then he explains to Rachel and Leah the need to move to a different land. And he says in verse 11, he says, In that dream, the angel of God said to me, Jacob. And I said, Here I am. And he said, Look up and see, all the males that are made in with the flocks are streaked and spotted and speckled, for I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you poured oil on the stone marker and made a solemn vow to me. Get up, leave this land, and return to your native land. So imagine being in the spot of Leah and Rachel here. They have never left their homeland, but now Jacob is calling them to leave. Jacob, knowing this will be difficult for them, encourages them with that God will be with us. God, will, God has told me this. He will take care of us. He will bless us. Will they trust him? Will they trust him? Will they trust God? Before we see if they will or not, notice in the depiction of the, of the dream, we have another instance here of the angel of the Lord. In verse 11, Jacob said, an angel of God spoke to him in a dream, in verse 11. Okay? So we have an angel of God speaking, but then what happens in verse 13? Then it changes to God speaking. We've seen this time and time again throughout, throughout Genesis so far. He says, I am the God of Bethel. And you're like, well, I thought it was the angel speaking. How do you, how do you explain that? And there's a couple different views. One, it, that people said this angel of the Lord 
is the pre-incarnate Jesus, which is possible. I'm, I'm leaning towards the idea that this is actually an, it is an angel, a messenger from God, but as a messenger from God, he can speak on God's behalf, right? So he can, he can speak as if God were there, right? The angel is representing God's presence. So those are two main options. That's kind of a, a side note. You can kind of be tracing the angel of the Lord throughout the Old Testament and seeing how angels can kind of speak on God's behalf and trying to figure out that. That's, a, that's another side topic for another discussion, but just to point it out. But how do Rachel and Leah respond? Will they trust God? Will they trust Jacob here? It says in verse 14, it says, Then Rachel and Leah answered him, Do we have any portion of inheritance in our father's family? Are we not regarded by him as outsiders? For he has sold us and has certainly spent our purchase price. So remember, when Jacob had to work 14 years for, we would say, the bride price, the purchase price for Leah and Rachel. And so that, was, that money, remember, was supposed to be set aside by Laban to take care of his daughters if something happened to Jacob. It's kind of a like a life insurance policy. Like if something happens to Jacob, their dad can take them back in and take care of them. But what did Laban do? He's greedy. He's selfish. He's already spent the inheritance. He spent the money. And so his daughters are like, yeah, we don't want to stay here with Laban. He, he will not take care of us. He has not loved us rightly. He's been selfish, right? And he's, they say in verse 16, in fact, all the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. So do whatever God has said to you. So two points here. One, they realize that God is blessing them and taking care of them, even when their father's not. And then number two, they trust what God says. They say, do what God says. Do, what God, do whatever God has said, told you to do. And this is really a short summary of the Christian life. Trust that God loves you and protects you and blesses you. Remember that. And then trust and do what he says. It is a good summary of what we are to do. Believe and remember that God is taking care of you and do whatever he tells you to do. Even if it means going off into an unknown place, doing something uncomfortable, doing something new, trusting him in it. The third section here, we look at false gods and idols, starting in verse 17. So Jacob got up and put his children and wives on camels. He took all the livestock and possessions he had acquired in Param Aram, and he drove his herds to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. When Laban had gone to his shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household idols. What is going on? <laughs> Rachel, you're supposed to be like the mother of two tribes of Israel, this nation set apart for God, and you're stealing your father's household idols. Now, I, I don't think she's stealing them to uh, protect Laban from them. It seems with this whole idea that she is trusting in these idols to provide her some kind of blessing or provide her protection. Remember, she's never left home. She's going on this journey to a new land. She's like, yeah, I trust God. Do whatever God says. But can I take some comfort with me? Right? Can I take some idols with me? Do we do the same thing? Yeah, I trust you, God. I'll do whatever you said, but mm, can I hold on to this thing that comforts me, even though I know it's wrong and I shouldn't put my trust in it and I shouldn't worship it, but it helps me. And my parents trusted in it and it helped them, you know. 
You can come up with all reasons to trust in a false idol. And it's kind of a comical story here. You have a woman, a, a young mother, perhaps, um, stealing someone's gods, right? Like the gods are shown to not be very powerful, where Rachel can steal them, right? They have no protection over themselves. They have no power, but yet she trusts in them. And we, and we may laugh and say, well, you know, how could she be doing this? We might laugh at people worshiping these little statues and little idols. But two things, though, that, that makes it serious is, number one, there are people all over the world to this day that worship little physical idols. That is not just something that happened in the Old Testament. That is happening all over the world today. Okay? It is a real problem. Maybe not in our culture, but what, what is our problem? Number two, we may not worship little physical idols, but we are no different when we worship false gods in our own life. When we love other things more than God. When we put our trust in other things. When we fear man rather than fearing and trusting God. While Rachel trusted God with her words, she says, yes, let's go, let's do it. What did she do with her actions? Instead of trusting God to take care of them, she wanted some extra assurance and protection from these false gods. And as they are leaving, we read Jacob doing what Jacob does best, deceiving. Verse 20, Jacob deceived Laban, the Aramean, not telling him that, they were, that he was fleeing. And uh, the literal translation from the Hebrew is for when it says not telling him that he was fleeing, fleeing is that Jacob stole Laban's heart, right? So how do you get Jacob stole Laban's heart to not telling him that he was fleeing? Uh, I think, well, first of all, what, what the author's doing of Genesis is he's, Rachel just stole Laban's gods. Now Jacob is stealing Laban's heart, all right? And it, basically, it's a, it's a metaphor or a, um, a phrase that would basically mean in that time that he deceived him. If you steal someone's heart, you're deceiving them. You're going away secretly, not telling him where they're going. Um, I'm sorry, yeah, so it's, it's the, the translation of deception here. So Jacob deceived, that means literally Jacob uh, stole Laban's heart. And what that means is he didn't tell him that they were leaving. So it kind of explains that phrase. So... All that to say is, Rachel stole the, the gods, Jacob stole his heart, he was, J Rachel was fearful to the journey, so she trusted the idols, Jacob was also fearful, he, he feared Laban, so he didn't want to depart on good terms, he didn't want to tell him goodbye, he's like, we just need to get up and get out of here, and that's going to be a problem, we'll see that's why, why that's a problem, we'll see why this was made clear, that he was fearful of Laban in a few verses, but before that, we see in verse 21, we see Jacob fled with all his possessions, crossed the Euphrates, and headed for the hill country of Gilead. So Jacob had to flee from his brother Esau. Now he is fleeing from his father-in-law Laban. And then we get this really exciting chase scene, not with cars, but maybe camels here. We see verse 22. On the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. So he took his relatives with him, pursued Jacob for seven days, overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. This would be a great movie. But, the, but God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream at night and said, watch yourself. I love that translation too. Watch yourself, Laban. God warned him, don't say anything to Jacob, either good 
or bad. Now, this warning, as we'll see, doesn't mean that Laban can't literally talk to him, can't say anything. This phrase would mean something like, don't threaten him, don't do anything bad against him, don't prosecute him or take legal action against him to convey that. And it likely means this here in Genesis because as we see, Laban will speak to Jacob, but God doesn't rebuke him, God doesn't destroy him immediately. The warning is a warning against condemnation. So what do we see here? God is taking care of Jacob. He is confronting Laban, his enemy, and saying, don't mess, don't mess with Jacob. Don't threaten him. Don't do anything. But notice what God is doing. He doesn't eliminate the threat totally. He doesn't just uh, eliminate Laban. He doesn't just like, all right, you're off, right? You're, you're no longer here. He, he actually allows Laban to catch up to Jacob. And so there's like an application here for us is like, God may be allowing something in your life. God may be allowing an enemy in your life even to come close to you. To, to, he may not eliminate every hardship. He may not eliminate every enemy. But that doesn't mean he's not in control. That doesn't mean that he's not taking care of you, right? He could be using that enemy. He could be using that hardship to come for something good for you, right? Because this is what will happen with Laban. He's allowing Laban to catch up to Jacob so that they can be reconciled, all right? So maybe God is doing that with somebody in your life. You, would, you may be praying, God, just take this person away from me. But maybe God has something different in store. Do you trust God in that? God may be allowing your enemies to get close so that he could transform them into your friends. Just maybe. We see in verse 25, when Laban took over, overtook Jacob... Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban and his relatives also pitched their tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? You have deceived me and taken my daughters away like prisoners of war. Why did you secretly flee from me, deceive me, and not tell me? I would have sent you away with joy and singing with tambourines and lyres, but you didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters. You have acted foolishly. Wow, you know, this was a twist in the story. We, Laban was this terrible person. We were like, Laban is the enemy. He's the villain of the story. But then when he says, you didn't let me kiss my grandchildren and children, you're kind of like, oh, I kind of feel that. You know, that hurts, right? And so Laban becomes a real person. Laban is a real person. Laban has feelings and emotions and has some even though his, he's far from perfect and he hasn't loved his kids and grandkids well, he still had a, a love and attachment for them. And so I think what the scriptures are pointing out here is that it's easy for us to villainize or to make enemies of people that we don't like and almost say that like they're not even made in the image of God. Like We wouldn't say that, but maybe we act that way. But we realize that they are made in the image of God. They are worthy of respect, even if they're our enemies. What does Jesus tell us to do? to pray for our enemies, right? To love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. And so in this moment, when, when Jacob is fleeing from Laban, he, he kind of disrespects and dishonors him and doesn't even let him say goodbye to his kids and grandkids. And so why did he do this? Because God told him to go, but he didn't tell him how to go, right? He didn't tell him to flee right at once and deceive Laban and sneak off. What he should have done is reconcile with Laban before he left. 
But he didn't because he feared Laban more than he feared God. We see this. Well, Jacob will confess this in a few verses. But first, Laban continues in verse 29 and says, I could do you great harm, but last night the God of your father said to me, Watch yourself. Don't say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now you have gone off because you long for your father's family, but why have you stolen my gods? So here's, that, here's the stolen gods come back up, right? And uh, Rachel, uh, is, the stealing of, their, of his false gods is about to, to get them in trouble. What's interesting, I didn't notice until just now, is Laban had an interaction with God himself. God warned him, right? But he's still chasing after these false gods. It's like, wouldn't you get something, right? Wouldn't you, you know, wouldn't you realize, like, why do you care about those? You just met the God of the universe. But he's like, nah, I still want those false gods too. Like, I still want those idols. But we do the same thing. We have, you might have an experience with God. God may do something miraculous in your life, and you're like, all right, I see it. You're, you're, you're real. I believe you. But then a couple of days later, you forget about it, right? And you go off into doing what you want to do. I'm, I'm talking to my, about myself there too, so. But Laban, so Laban does this, he's looking for his false gods, and Jacob responds in verse 31, answering, why did you leave? He says, I was afraid. Every time we see fear of people, we, we can know there's, there may be a right reason, there can be some understanding why Jacob would be afraid, but he should have feared and trusted God more. He says, for I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. Would God allow that to happen? You know, God was there with him. He, did God trust God to protect them? And Jacob doesn't know what Rachel did, her, her theft, he, because he says in verse 32, he says, If you find your gods with anyone here, he will not live. Oof. Not a good thing to say when your wife has stolen the things they're looking for. You want to trust your family. Obviously, you wouldn't think your wife would do that, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't want anybody in your family to do that. But we need to be careful not to be so prideful, maybe so naive, and definitely do not make threats and promises like this, right? Uh, we'll see examples of this even in the New Testament of people making promises before they get all the information. Um, and so, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> Jacob continues and says, before our relatives point out anything that is yours and take it, Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the idols. So Laban went into Jacob's tent, Leah's tent, and the tents of the two concubines, but he found nothing. When he left Leah's tent, he went into Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken Laban's household idols, put them in the saddlebag of the camel, and sat on them. That should be funny <laughs> to us. <laughs> because remember, Genesis, and all the, Genesis through um, Exodus and Deuteronomy was written, kind of recorded by Moses, right in the time of the, exi of the Exodus, getting out of Egypt. And so they would be reading this and looking at, they're worshiping the one true God, Yahweh, and they're looking at uh, these false gods of Egypt and these false idols that other nations have. And how, do they, how does the Bible depict these false idols, these false gods? Well, one, they can be stolen by a young mother. <laughs> Number two, they can be set on, right? Like, that's not very, they're not very powerful. Like, why do you trust these things, right? And so Laban searched the whole tent but found nothing. And it, it, it even gets funnier. I don't, I don't think I even have to explain it. Just listen to verse 35. She said to her father, Don't be angry, my lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence. I'm having my period. 
So Laban searched, but he could not find the household idols. You get the point. (laughs) This story is making fun of these false idols, right? No respect for them at all to say this about them, right? We, and, you know, we, we apply this to our, to, to our lives today. You may have a sacred idol that you turn to for comfort, for hope, for pleasure, for security. But that false idol in comparison to the one true God, it's laughable. They are not worthy of the place we give to them. We need to cast out our idols. We need to see them for what they are. And in verse 36, we see Jacob became incensed and brought charges against Laban. And you have this kind of long rant here that he begins. He says, what is my crime? What is my sin that you have pursued me? You searched all my possessions. Have you found anything of yours? Put it here before my relatives and yours. Let them decide between the two of us. And he just keeps going on and on and on about ranting and basically yelling at Laban how he's mistreated him for the next few verses. And then we jump down to verse 42. He says this, If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac, we'll come back to this in a second, but he names God a name here, the fear of Isaac. Right? Instead of the God of Isaac, it's the, he names him fear of Isaac. And he says, if, that, if the God of Isaac, the fear of Isaac, had not been with me, certainly now you would have sent me off empty-handed. But God has seen my affliction and my hard work and has issued his verdict last night. So it's kind of like dropping the mic. Now what? You know, God has warned you. What are you going to do now, Laban? Right? And there's no major fight scene here, you would think, in Hollywood. This day, they might turn this into a fight scene. But look at what Laban says. We see that this is truly, I think, a, a God working in the background. God is bringing reconciliation. We see in verse 43. Laban answers Jacob to this big, long rant. He says, the daughters are my daughters, the children my children, and the flocks my flocks. Everything you see is mine. But what can I do for these daughters of mine or for the children they have, have born? Basically, he admits, I have no bargaining chip. I can't do anything. You have God on your side. You have everything is in your corner. What can I do? So he says in verse 44, Come now, let's make a covenant, you and I. Let it be a witness between the two of us. I did not see that coming. If you were just reading this straight through, you'd be like, this is not how I expected this to end. Laban's like, all right, you win. Let's make an agreement. Let's make a covenant together. Let's reconcile. All the, all the problems, everything going on, they are going to be reconciled. And this is why we see, we see the kind of the end of the story where why God allowed Laban to catch up to him. God allowed Laban, the enemy, to catch up so they can be reconciled to be friends again. Even, again, Rachel's not helping the situation with her stolen idols. I don't know what would happen. This story would be totally different if Laban found them. But God is working things out to bless Jacob and his family, even when they don't deserve it. They're, de- they're deceiving people, they're lying, they're stealing false idols, yet God says, I'm still their God. I'm still going to bless them, I'm still going to protect them. So if God can do that with them, God can do that with people and enemies in your life. He's done that with us. We were the Labans, we were the Jacobs, we were the Rachels. We're not the perfect saint, right? 
We have false idols. We have deceived people. Yet God still loves us and blesses us in Christ. We need to just trust him with that. God can mend relationships as he mended these relationships with Jacob and Laban. We just need to trust God in it. And so we see the covenant being made. Jacob picked out a stone and set it up as a marker. Then Jacob said to his relatives, gather stones. And they took up stones and made a mound. And then they ate there by the mound. So this is where we get our theology of lunch fellowships, if you didn't know. I'm just kidding. But seriously, like every time there's like a covenant made and there's like a growing in relationship and there's like a close relationship between people, there's usually food involved. And so... I don't have a full theology of food yet, but that there's work, we're working towards that. So I think Baptists have something good with lunch fellowships. But, but seriously, uh, they go on the next few verses. They go on to make a covenant. They make an agreement that they will not harm each other. And then down in verse 53, Laban says something very interesting. He says, the God of Abraham, the gods of Nahor, the gods of their father will judge between us. So again, even though Laban recognizes that there is a God of Abraham, he's still holding on to his other false gods. Right? He's, he's swearing this oath by all the gods, basically. Like he's this multiplicity of gods. Many people do that today. They try to have Jesus and other gods. Like they, have, they try to have Jesus as just an add-on to their life. Like I can do whatever I want as long as I have Jesus on Sunday and I can worship my other idols and other gods all the rest of the week. Idols of money, idols of comfort, idols of materialism, idols of desire. But what are we to do? We are to worship God alone, the one true God. And so for all of Jacob's shortcomings, all of Jacob's mistakes and sins, he does get this. He gets this right. I think that's what it's pointing to. We see in verse 53 at the end, Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. He didn't swear by the other gods. He didn't trust in anything else. He is making the covenant based on his one and true God that he worshiped, the fear of his father, Isaac. He's emphasizing here, naming God, fear that God is to be feared. God is powerful. We see the power of God in warning Laban not to threaten Jacob. God is to be feared. This is a, a... a main point throughout the Old Testament. We see God conquering enemies. We see his power in creation. God is to be feared. And the power of God, the holiness of God, is not something to be forgotten or just left in the Old Testament. The fear and worship of God is not something to be separated. We fear him and we trust him. But we don't fear him as enemies. We fear him as our loving father. Because at the end of the day, Like I've mentioned, we are a lot like Laban and Rachel and Jacob. We have deceived people. We have lied. We have worshipped false idols, gods in our heart. We have failed to worship God as we ought. But as God reconciled Laban and Jacob, Jesus reconciles us to God. He reconciles us to God the Father through his death and resurrection. And God... We see God allowing this hardship. We see God allowing Laban to catch up for this reconciliation. We see God do this throughout the Old Testament and New Testament and culminating on Jesus. God uses the most difficult, God uses the most painful situation in the history of the world 
the death of the perfectly innocent Jesus, the Messiah. God uses that in his plan, in his process. He uses the death of his son to transform people from enemies of God to friends of God. And God made a covenant with, with us, not with stones like Jacob and Laban, but he made a covenant with us in Jesus' blood. We have reason to trust God. We have reason to praise him. And we have reason to step out in faith and do something new in obedience for him. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. We have a simple prayer today that we would fear you and trust you. That we would cast out all our false gods. We'd cast away everything that we cling to as our ultimate hope and only cling to you. That we would see these false things and these desires that are in first place in our heart. We would see them as they are. As laughable idols with no power. God, help us to trust in you. God, help us to share this message with others. Help us to preach this message to ourselves. God, help us to respond in praise to you for what you've done. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand for our invitation, please? Now we'll be praying for church unity. God's word reads, just one thing as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we praise you that you have called a people to yourself.
And even now, your people are citizens of heaven. We exalt your name and praise you for what you can do. Nothing is impossible for you. God, we pray that you would empower us by your spirit, your power, to walk worthy and to live life that would honor you in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. May you be honored in all that we do and say. May you move in our lives and hearts this week that we would make it a point to go out and tell someone of your great love for people, that you sent your son, Jesus, to redeem a people for yourself, that there is forgiveness through Jesus and his shed blood. Well, we want to tell you that we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.